Hello and greetings. Thank you for your interest in spiritual matters. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Ethan and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples on the west side of Los Angeles. If you know much about Christianity, you know Christianity talks a lot about Jesus, the idea of forgiveness of sin, and that Christianity talks a lot about heaven. Even if you don't know much about Jesus, you know something about heaven. Heaven's probably up above, right? People go there when they die, is a common belief, and uh, you, you might think you're going there. A lot of people think that they're going to go to heaven when they die. We've heard of the near-death experience phenomenon, where people whose spirits have seemingly departed from their body for a moment, but later are resuscitated, describe a consistent experience. There's some sort of tunnel with a bright light in the end. In that bright light, there's numinous peace, and there's comfort from relatives, things like that. Now, there's so many different views about heaven, and all of these views have all kinds of different sources. Some ideas about heaven are grounded in what we can learn from Scripture. And yet, a lot of what is thought about heaven comes more from folk religion or quasi-Gnostic ideas than anything we'll find in Scripture. Uh, Gnostics being a group of uh, people who exalted secret knowledge and uh, had a very spiritualized religion uh, not long after the days of the Apostles. And a lot of times when it comes to heaven, people will base things on either personal experience stories or vague assumptions about the way they imagine it or the way they feel like it should be or must be. So, let's spend some time opening the scriptures and looking from scripture to see what we can learn about heaven. Now, if we're going to do that, we need to understand where that idea of heaven is even coming from. And thankfully, it comes from the very beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1. Now, the word there, heavens is Hebrew Shemayim. And in Hebrew, it's a form you don't see too often. Uh, it's a, a dual form. And throughout the text, it's a dual form. A constant pairing. There, it, it's not a true singular. And it's used that way throughout the Old Testament as the heavens, as this kind of plural idea. Well, what are the heavens? Well, when we look at the details of what God makes in verse 6 of Genesis 1, and God said, let there be an expanse, or a firmament, in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse, and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And so there is this rakia, this firmament or expanse, that separates the waters above and from the waters that are below. And this expanse is called the heavens. In verse 14, God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. So that's the stars, the sun, the moon, all of the heavenly uh, galaxies that we see up there. In Genesis 1 and verse 20, God continues, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. And in Genesis 2 and verse 20, Adam will name the birds of the heavens. And so the heavens are everything that is above the earth until, at least in the Genesis 1 way of looking at things, you'd reach the waters above. So the lowest level of the heavens, what we would call maybe first heaven, is what we would call our sky, our atmosphere. It's where the birds fly, where the airplanes fly, up to where there's clouds and weather. 
The next level of the heavens, which if you just keep going up, there's no firm boundary. You just eventually leave the earth and you're out into uh, the space or the universe where the sun and the moon, the solar system, uh, the galaxy and other galaxies are at. Now these heavens testify to the power and handiwork of our God. In Psalm 83, 19, 1, a constant source of meditation for God's greatness, how much above and beyond us he is because he has created this wide, beautiful, huge expanse. And modern science has only helped us appreciate just how wide that expanse is. 13 billion light years and growing. Uh, an inconceivably huge amount of space that God has created. But they're what God has created. They're just as much a part of the creation as the earth. So it's not like the ancient Israelites thought God dwelt somewhere up in the universe that they beyond their sight on some unknown galaxy or something. They recognized that the heavens are part of the creation of God and it's something over which he maintains authority. And we see in Deuteronomy 10, 14, 30 through 26, 1 Chronicles, Psalm 115, Isaiah 45, 18. Now, we notice there in Deuteronomy 10, 14, uh, there, the, uh, Moses speaks not only of heaven, but the heaven of heaven. So does uh, Solomon, Nehemiah, and the psalmist. Um, it's a realm under God's control in Deuteronomy 10, 14. Solomon exclaims that God cannot be contained by heaven of heavens, uh, let alone the temple that he had built in 1 Kings 8, 27. In Nehemiah 9, 6, the heaven of heavens is created by God, part of the creation of God. Now, maybe the heaven of heavens is approaching the realm of God. Perhaps it's a way of speaking of the third heaven that we're going to see Paul went to and, and saw in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 4. Or maybe it's just a way of expressing the continued, quote-unquote, levels of the heavens, if we can use such a term. So, heavens are a way of speaking not just about what is up, but also what is beyond humanity. So, sure, the atmosphere, the universe, but things perhaps even beyond the universe. So we got these word heavens, and so whatever heaven must be, it must relate it somehow to the heavens. Now Hebrew Shemayim, we talked about that word heavens, is translated by the Greek Uranos, uh, which remain, remains, means heaven, but it's a singular, and it's not dual. And so that's why the heavens kind of more often or not now are seen as heaven. In the New Testament, we read more about heaven, and not as much about the heavens, with the exception of the heavenlies. In Ephesians 1, 3, 20, 2, 6, 3, 10, 6, 12, uh, which have also translate heavenly places, and they have made reference to all kinds of realms, many which might be ruled by powers, principalities. Uh, that's another subject for another day. But throughout the New Testament, heaven will subsume both the various level of the heavens described in the Old Testament, but also is speaking about the kind of place we mean when we speak of heaven. So what is this heaven that the New Testament talks about? Well, it's the dwelling place of God. Uh, that's what Jesus makes clear in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, uh, in Matthew 6, 9. Our, your Father, who is in heaven, will see. Jesus would be received up to be with his Father in heaven, in Mark 16, 19, Luke 24, 51, and Acts 1, 10 through 11. Now, in John 1, the Word was God, the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, that Jesus descended from heaven. And in John 6, 32-41, talks about how he was the bread of, that came down from heaven, and he therefore had been up with the Father and came down from heaven to be in our midst. Likewise, the Holy Spirit is the one in 1 Peter 1, verse 12, who's come down from heaven. Our Master is in heaven, Ephesians 6, 9, Colossians 4, 1, a reminder uh, of, of the power issues there. 
And in Philippians 3.20, we await our Savior's return from heaven, that we are our citizenship is in heaven, from which we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus. In Revelation 4 and 5, John is seen as taken up to heaven and sees the throne of God and Jesus the Lamb in a, in a powerful vision. Heaven is not just the dwelling place of God, though. It's also the dwelling place of God's host. This is something we even see in the Old Testament. Psalm 82 and verse 1, we are invited to see God in the midst of his heavenly council, in the midst of the Elohim, God's judges, spiritual beings, whatnot. His host, you know, we see often in the Old Testament, it's called Yahweh of hosts, Yahweh of armies, or, you know, a multitude. That's what host is. And his host would include the seraphim. And these seem to be the four creatures that surround his throne in vision in Isaiah 6, Ezekiel 1, and Revelation 4. Angels dwell in heaven. They're sent from heaven to accomplish God's purposes. We see that in Matthew 28, 2, and Luke 2, 8 through 15. And this host of heaven might also contain demonic powers and principalities that rebel against God's purposes. Uh, that summons of the Elohim that God has there in Psalm 82 are, are not two beings doing the things he wants them to do. Um, Acts 7, 42. Um, Colossians 2.15, Jesus triumphs over the powers and principalities. Uh, John sees all kinds of angels praising God in Revelation 7.11-12. And in 12, chapter 12 of Revelation, he sees a war in heaven. Michael and his angels uh, fighting against Satan and his angels, which we would assume to be demons. And Satan there was defeated. And so that along with Job 1, where Satan is going to and fro on the earth, but then appears before God where the sons of God are appearing before God would seem that Satan could at least previously inhabit heaven and stand before God. The New Testament also speaks of heaven as a dwelling place of departed believers. Now, in 2 Corinthians 12, a passage that we've already mentioned, uh, Paul has the following to say, a very enigmatic passage, but important for our purposes. I must go on boasting. Though there is no, nothing to be gained by, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Kind of seems to be him. Later on, he's got a thorn in the flesh given because of the revelation. I guess he could be telling a story from somebody else, but most believe he's in a roundabout way talking about himself. And so he visited the third heaven. So again, well, first heaven would be with the birds and air, our sky, second one's where the planets are and the stars, the universe, the third heaven would be where God dwells, maybe. Uh, it's called paradise, and he sees unspeakable things. And here's unspeakable things. Uh, it's not revealed directly whether this is to be associated with the heaven in which God dwells or if there's some kind of separation. Um, John 14, 1 through 3, Jesus assures the, his disciples that in his Father's house are many rooms translate mansions in some versions and he goes to prepare a place for them that where he may be there they may be also and what did God Jesus do to prepare a place for us well he died and was raised again in power and so we have that dwelling place now prepared in Philippians 1 another very powerful passage in light of these things Paul continues and declares in verse 22 for I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire to de is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So he wants to go and be with Christ. And we know where Christ is. He's in heaven. It seems to mean that Paul expects to go there at death before resurrection. 
And in Revelation, there's plenty of passages. Chapter 6, 9 through 11, with the departed saints under the altar. Uh, and then in chapter 7, we have, uh, in chapter 15, three occasions where uh, John sees departed Christians at the presence of God in heaven before the day of resurrection. So yes, Revelation is a vision of things, but there is a temporal logic in Revelation. Things can proceed in some kind of linear fashion, even if cyclical. And this is at the same time there are those on earth who are sealed with uh, the, the, the seal of God. There are also those in heaven praising before the throne of God. And that happens before the judgment in chapter 20. Heaven also is kind of seen as shorthand, a way of talking about God and his presence, his power, and his judgment. So, in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says, for kingdom of heaven, everything is kingdom of heaven in, in Matthew's Gospel. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But in Mark and Luke, it's not kingdom of heaven, it's kingdom of God. You know, repent for the kingdom of God is coming. Uh, Matthew 4.17 verses Mark 1, 14.15 verses Luke 4.43. So what's the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven? There are some people who want to make these elaborate arguments that one is different from the other, but they're talking about the same thing. And the difference is it's the kingdom of God, i.e. God is the possessor of it, uh, heaven as the locus, so to speak, the place where it is, a way of talking about God's power. Matthew 6, verse 20, the treasures in heaven that one might accumulate, what would those be? It's not like you have a bank with gold in it up, the, up there somewhere. No, it's a testimony of the things that you've done, a memorial before God where you receive commendation from God. Uh, standing in blessing there in Matthew 6.20. Yes, uh, Luke 9.54, uh, John and James would love to have fire from heaven come down. But the idea of fire from heaven itself, it may be actual fire that comes down, but it's a, dem it's a display of God's judgment. And signs from heaven or John's messages coming down from heaven speak of God as providing displays of power, like in Luke 11, 16, or communicating his purposes. So uh, it's not like John the Baptist floated down from heaven, uh, but the Spirit from heaven came to inspire John to give his message of repentance. And John, Luke 24 through 5 is a major part of the contention with the chief priests and elders. Now these, and perhaps others, all derive from that idea that heaven is where God dwells and where God's host dwells. And therefore it's the place of origination of things coming from God, because God dwells in heaven. So if we're talking about heaven in terms of locus, origination, or place, quote-unquote, where would it be? So, and that's a good question. Where is heaven? Well, it seems like an obvious answer. Where would you say heaven is? Up, right? Something involving up there. And it makes sense. The heavens are what's above us, the sky and the sp and space. And so wouldn't heaven be up there as well? And hey, the scriptures provide a lot of reasons to justify that idea. In Ezekiel 1, 1, have, Ezekiel sees the heavens open and he sees a vision of God. In Lamentations 3 and verse 41, the author asks everyone to lift up their hands toward God in the heavens, which may be behind 1 Timothy 2 and verse 8, when Paul wants men to, to raise up holy hands in prayer. When John sees the picture of heaven in Revelation 4 and 5, he's invited to come up here, to come up to see it. In Acts 1, 9 through 11, Jesus is carried up in a cloud away from the disciples, and the angels testify that they will see him descend as they saw him ascending. In Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, a great testimony about God, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts than our thoughts. And so almost always then, when heaven is reckoned in some spatial sense, the trajectory is up, and the divine comes down from it. But where would heaven be up there? Well, we know it's not in our atmosphere, 
It's not in our universe. We've received no signals, no reason to believe it's out in our universe. Now, we might say, hey, okay, but what's beyond our universe? Maybe there is that water right outside the limit of our universe, and then beyond that is where God is in Genesis 1-7. And that's certainly possible. We haven't really plumbed anything beyond our, our universe, and uh, probably aren't going to do that anytime soon. But it's also interesting to note that in Ephesians 4 and verse 10, that Paul doesn't say that Jesus ascended into heaven there. He sees that he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. How could Jesus ascend beyond all the heavens, or far beyond the heavens? You boggle the mind to imagine what that looks like, right? And there's other challenges for us to try to say that heaven is unilaterally just up there. And we saw what Solomon declares. Heaven of heavens cannot contain you, much less this house that I have built. Well, let's take Solomon's word. If the heaven of heavens cannot contain God, how can God dwell there? How can that be where his house is any more than anywhere else? God uses imagery frequently. In Isaiah 55, 6, we just read about the distance. He, it also says, call upon God while he is near. James 4, verse 8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Now, we could say this is all just flowery metaphor. Some would say that. But uh, if it's true in a spatial sense, in any kind of sense of spatial sense, how could that be if God is so thoroughly outside the universe? And then that's what Paul says on, on Mars Hill. He says, and he's quoting a Greek, but he affirms it, that this is a true message. In him, we that we are not far from, that God is not actually far from us in verse 27, for in him we live and move and have our being. And then in Ephesians 4 and verse 6, God, there is one God and Father who is over all, through all, and in all. Now, if God is dwelling in heaven, which is spatially far away, how can he be in all things? And how can we live and move in heaven being in him if this is possible? Now, what about 2 Kings 6, 16 and 17, where we've got this interesting story where the king of Aram has sent his army against Elisha the prophet. Elisha the prophet sees him surrounded, self-surrounded by the army. His servant's freaking out. Elisha prays, Lord, open his eyes, and servant open his eyes, and now he can all of a sudden see chariots of fire all around him. The chariots of fires were around him to begin with. They are angels, probably a, a heavenly host of some form, and yet they're there, right around them in seemingly right next to them in even though they did not appear there a minute before maybe our challenge is that we keep thinking of heaven as a locus a place a spatial reality why would we assume that heaven is a bounded defined space that we can make conceive of in our space-time continuum by definition it's beyond the space-time continuum if god is truly transcendent now, there's one way we can try to make sense of all of this, which is to posit heaven, or at least some aspect of the spiritual realm, is another dimension which suffuses our own, yet is beyond our perception. We would suggest this because it does a nice way of explaining everything. It would explain, in 2 Kings 16-17, there, that the spiritual beings are present 
It may be imperceptible to the physical plane of reality, but they're very real because they're just in an alternate dimension that is all around us that we cannot perceive. In that way, heaven's still up because the stars and the atmosphere are also uh, suffused by that spiritual dimension. But it's also there for all around. And so God dwells in heaven, but God also said to be in all things. And that's how we can do that. We can understand God's presence suffusing all things in a transcendent dimension that's beyond our perception. And that's a way he can continually sustain and uphold all things, but yet still remain uncontained by his creation in 1 Kings, Acts, and Ephesians. That makes your head explode. It makes my head explode. It's beyond us. This is one of those secret things that belongs to God, something well beyond our full comprehension. Uh, we introduce the idea of a dimensional difference just to challenge thinking. Why do we insist on it being a place when it could just be a different reality that suffuses our own? And it may not even be that. It may be something completely different that we have no way of unfiguring out our understanding until we get to be with God. And heaven is going to be a, a, a matter on which we're going to have a lot more questions and answers. And God's ways and thoughts are much higher than our own. All we can understand about the heavenly realm are the things that we've just talked about, which is what God's revealed about it. It's very little. It's in fragments and it's in hints and glimpses here and there. And so we do well to use those glimpses to try to make sense as best we can and to leave a lot of it up to faith in God. Uh, and the only reason that we're doing you know, some of the surmising is just because otherwise we fill our heads with our surmising and speculations which may not be consistent with what God has made known in Jesus and in Scripture. And that's why we need to kind of bring it back again and get a good biblical view of heaven. Which is that the heavens are the atmosphere, the universe, and maybe points beyond. Heaven is well beyond humanity, and therefore it's where God dwells since he is well above and beyond humanity. When God appears, he certainly comes and does tend to do so from above. He realizes that metaphor fully. There's a lot about heaven that's mysterious, but if we're trying to find it in a specific place, it's probably going to be a futile endeavor. Now, the metaphor certainly has meaning. Heaven is definitely up. But there's also evidence in the Bible suggests that at least elements of what we call heaven are also around, maybe suffusing the creation in another transcendent dimension. So yes, God dwells in heaven, but the heaven of heavens cannot contain him. In him we live and move and have our being. All things are in him, yet he is above and beyond all. The Lord Jesus dwells in heaven until the day of his return. And so let us therefore seek to serve God in Christ, to hasten the day of Jesus' return, and until then, submit to his purposes that we may also be with him for eternity, that we may, like Paul, go and be with Christ, for that is far better. We're so glad that you've joined us again. If you've been benefited by this, you'd like to... Uh, just please share it with your friends and family and others online. If you have any questions or comments, if you have a prayer request, you'd like to check us out, learn more about us, please find us online at VenusChurchOfChrist.org. We're also on social media. If I can be of any service personally, you can reach me through my website, DeVerboVitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. I again thank you. Have a great day.